Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Leg Upward Inclusion Spotlight, Making the Invisible Visible with me, Dr. Aparajita Jirigunta. Today's guest is an indie creative, and I'm very excited to have this conversation with her because she is about to release and publish her first installment of her novel. And her name is author Jody Groom, and she publishes under the name J.D. Groom. Jody grew up in Staffordshire in the UK, and after several moves, she came to settle in West Yorkshire with her husband and daughter. Reading, crafting, and personal fitness are her favorite activities, with Formula One and a particular Sebastian Vettel being a slight obsession. Writing is also a passion, although she can't remember exactly when she began. In a way, it was always there. 2007 was when she really started taking her writing seriously, when she had an idea for a novel which then grew to a duology, the first installment of which is about to be published very soon. And I'm going to read the blurb of that uh, very shortly. But Jody also has a short story available to purchase on Amazon called Envy, a deadly sin short story. And over the years, she has also created a few other short stories, which she's gradually releasing on Wattpad for free. She tends to write for a young adult, new adult audience, though the subject can be varied. Jody's upcoming publication book is The Sorceress of Truth. And here's the blurb. 17-year-old Tori Harper wants nothing more than to fit in. Her relentless classmates made her school life hell, so a family relocation and a change of schools is exactly what she needs. In fact, Tori is relieved to be welcomed into a small group and is especially enraptured by Kylan, the big brother, with a troubled past of his own. But when a house party turns into a massacre and a familiar face reveals herself to be a vampire, Tori is plunged headfirst into a world of magic, mystery, and treacherous evils. The vampires want Tori, whose blood may be the key to awaken a demon capable of destroying the world as we know it. Failing isn't an option, but when nothing is as it seems, who can she trust to help her stop them? Wow, what a great blurb. And on that note, it is my absolute pleasure to welcome author Jody Groom to this episode. Hi, Jody. Hello. I'm so excited after reading that blurb. And of course, since I sort of on the back end also know a little bit more about what happens in the story, Story, you know, this is something I've always wanted to ask you is why vampires and the mysterious and mystical and all of that? <laughs> I'd say probably the first book that really drew me in when I was sort of an early teen was a, a book about vampires. And I've just always had a fascination with them ever since, really. <laughs> so what inspired this particular? particular story okay in about 2000 well it was t 2007 I went on a little holiday with my husband and we went down to Cheddar Gorge down Somerset way and I discovered the history of well a story about the Wookiee Hole witch and it was her story really that inspired it and also seeing the caves and, and the gorge itself and I just thought wouldn't it be amazing if something actually burst from the ground here you know something actually came out of the earth and that's how sort of Belial, my demon, was born, really. Wow. So for people who are not familiar with that geographical area at all, which is probably going to be most Americans, tell me more about that geography and the, the lore of this witch and all of that, please. <laughs> okay. Well, the actual geography of itself, it's sort of down on the, towards the southwest of the UK. It's, as, as I say, got this massive, these massive gorges cut into the earth, millions of 
of years ago. And they've got such an amazing cavern system in there. I really would recommend just having a quick <laughs> search on the internet to look at the pictures because they're, they're absolutely stunning. It's surrounded by moorland and the caves themselves are used for all sorts of things, um, including a cheese is stored in the caves, <laughs> um, a cheddar cheese. <laughs> And that's how it's aged. Hmm, that's interesting. So there's these gorges and caves and they're used for many things. Now, what is this witch lore? Okay, so the, the witch, she lived just outside of the village and she would sort of conjure up evil and sort of really terrorise the, the villagers. And in the end, they managed to get a priest to go into the cave and he was able to stop her and turn her to stone. So now if you actually go into um, the caves, there is, I always get them mixed up, the stalagmites and stalactites, but one of them looks like a stone witch. Oh, wow. That's really interesting. How did you go from that to creating these completely fleshed out characters, especially since I have read the book? It's fascinating to me that how you took this lore and you took this geographical location and you fleshed out these really intricate characters with so much history and so much depth to their personalities and their psychology and their behaviors. Can you tell our listeners more about what that process was like? Okay, so for me, I'd say the main character, Tori, she has a lot of my own traits. And when I'm sitting down to go through my characters, I have a questionnaire and in my head, I'm asking them questions about themselves. I discovered that Tori was um, Sagittarius like myself so I, I do actually look into the star signs a little bit as well to check out the sort of traits that are normally associated with the star sign and I work on a visual as well so I go traipsing online and have a look around and see if I can find a picture of someone who looks similar to what I have in my mind's eye so that when I'm actually writing them you know I've got something visual to go off as well. The actual process of, of writing the characters, for the, for the first year, I didn't put pen to paper on the story at all. It was just character profiles, the backstories. So I, I already knew the character's history before I even started. Yeah, I have to say that I think you're one of the first authors that I've met that has such a detailed plan, you know, in terms of character development and in terms of the backstories, in terms of the visuals. And I mean, you call them... Oh, you call them what your story bibles i do yes <laughs> yeah I have. i'd never heard of that term before and once you sort of showed me what that's about it just blew my mind and i tried to replicate it and uh yeah no no not that easy no every, everybody has their own way of working as i say i've got all the backstories down got all the character information down i know where the story is going to start i know where it's going to end but what happens in the middle who knows i, I I can't seem to plot out a story <laughs> at all. Oh, so that's, you know, actually really good to know that you don't have it all planned out because that's a surprise to me. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I might have the occasional scene pop into my mind or I might think, oh, you know, I, I want something set here. But it, it, as I say, in terms of the actual storyline, I mean, I, I have the epilogue of the final book written already. <laughs> but how I get there, who knows? <laughs> that's really exciting. And it almost sounds like an adventure that you just need to have with your inner self. Oh yeah, definitely. That's what I love about the writing. It, it's the 
creative side. I use it as my therapy as well, I suppose, in a way. You know, if if I'm going to be anywhere, just look for either my computer or uh, the nearest coffee shop and I'll be sat in the corner with a notepad and pencil. Okay. You've talked about Tori. And of course, I want to ask a million questions about my favorite character, but (laughs) I don't want to give things away either. So what do you want to tell us about the other characters? Okay, well, Tori, as it says in the blurb, she's moved to a new school. So she makes friends with a new group, which are three girls who are a bit strange to her. They're uh, Pepper, Sorrel and Bee. But she was never very sociable before. And a lot of the friendship to her, they're first. So it's the first time going for coffee with people. It's the first time going to a house party with with others. So she kind of just brushes off a bit of the uh, unusual. (laughs) She kind of just accepts it. Then, as I say, the, um, the house party doesn't quite turn out as she was expecting. And she gets plunged into this new world. And I mean, there is information out there, particularly on my um, Instagram. So I don't mean mind talking a little bit of <laughs> some of the uh, characters. But obviously, Kylan, he is a vampire. He's a lot older than what Tori is expecting. And then as the story progresses, they meet an original vampire called Lucas. Mm. <laughs> yes, I understand you have a particular fondness for him. Yes, yes. Lucas is my fantasy fictional vampire boyfriend. <laughs> he um, Initially, when you meet him, he's a bit sort of chalk and cheese. You either love him or hate him. But I hope as the story progresses, you do get to know him a little bit better. And certainly in the second book, you'll learn a lot more of his uh, past. Yeah, we're definitely going to talk about the second book soon. But, you know, let's stay on the first book for now. I think it's very interesting for me how polarizing Lucas appears to other people because I didn't get that when I read it. You know, it was from the beginning. I think I told you as I read it, the second Lucas stepped into the picture, Kylan was out, completely out because I got to read it chapter by chapter as you you know sent it to me right and the the way that you developed Lucas into this just you know he's a magnificent character he is I do enjoy writing him him and uh, Pepper they're uh, they're very fun to write and Pepper we're gonna talk about Pepper in a second but Lucas <laughs> what was your inspiration for Lucas for Lucas I think I I can't remember the author but I read a particular book series it's the Morganville vampire series it, it's quite a popular one and there was a character in there that to me was a bit misunderstood and he he was very similar to Lucas but yeah it's a hard one I think I don't know I I was after a character that could appear very hard to some people and because he's so old he's he's quite flippant with life in a way but then once he meets Tori it kind of brings purpose to his life again so yeah I think you did that beautifully so when I read as Lucas's character developed when I read his character and when I read his role and purpose in the story what I saw and felt was somebody who was on the one hand flippant but on the other hand extremely guarded to where he doesn't want to reveal certain aspects of himself at all until he meets Tori and it's almost this sense of reawakening of all of these emotions that he intentionally just buried and repressed you know because of his age all of that is now coming back and you see this like completely new side of him where you see what he would have been like before he became an original yeah he did something in his past where in a way it's it's completely tied to the situation that Tori's going through now and I think in order to cope with it he shut off what feelings he could but he knew if he waited long enough he he 
would find himself in this situation again. <laughs> I said, I don't want to give too much away. <laughs> but <laughs> so now that Tori's come along, it's like, ah, this is what I've been waiting for, something. Sort of so yes, he's finally allowing himself to open up a little bit. Yeah, I don't actually know what happens because I've only read one installment. So this is just me taking educated guesses in terms of Lucas's character because it truly is so well developed, Jody. That I I really appreciate it, you know, because it it allows me to explore these behaviors and explore these sort of traits and things that you've written about him in terms of his actions and in terms of his thoughts and in terms of the things he does. And it it sort of makes me wonder, oh well, why would he be doing this, or what could be the possible reason? And you really do an, an enormously beautiful and artistic job with bringing out all of these nuances of your characters. Thank you. <laughs> you know, that's, to me, that's the magical part of writing. You know, that's a magical strength of the authors that I get to have the privilege to interview on this show. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, it's it just, I don't know, for, for me, when I when I think about it, I was like, Tori is only, you know, 17 going on 18. She's still quite naive. So her, her thought patterns are going to be a lot younger than what, say, Lucas and Kynan's are going to be how old they are they're going to be carrying around you know, regrets and you know bad things that have happened to them so it's just trying to get that across as well i want to switch gears and talk about pepper because i know pepper is inspired by somebody in real life she is yes <laughs> and pepper is such a phenomenal character i mean i don't think anybody who reads your books will not want pepper to be their best friend <laughs> she is really cute I, I, I love writing her she's she's hilarious without realizing it yeah her awkwardness is effortless <laughs> yes and uh, her, her um, sense of style is something to be uh, <laughs> desired <laughs> definitely definitely do you want to tell our listeners who pepper was inspired by i probably won't name any names but uh, she'll, she'll know who she is if she listens <laughs> so yeah it was um as i say a lot of Tori's story um certainly the backstory is very similar to my own so she moves high school at the start of doing her a levels so i'm not sure how that equates in <laughs> america but it's like year 12 for us. So yeah, like Tori, I met my best friend on my first day of school and was asked to show me around the school and take me under a wing, really. And that's exactly what Pepper does for Tori. And there's there's a lot of, of my, my friend in there, certainly with the sense of style sometimes and just the, the random comments and the food. Loves the food. <laughs> and, and even down to her looks as well. A little, little bit has come from my friend too. So I hope she recognises herself when she reads it because I think it's a good portrayal of I hope so too because you're you know the inspiration photos you put for Pepper and the photo that you showed as inspiration of you know the real person behind Pepper were to me in so many ways so eerily similar obviously there were different people and I recognize that but there were so many similarities just in the way their face expressed itself yeah definitely I mean I know Tori is the main character and great she's wonderful but I'm gonna be very biased here that Pepper and Lucas are
are my two most favorite characters in this entire series. Good, yeah. I, th- I think that they're two of mine, to be honest, as well. And also, just obviously, there's the main story going on, but quite a lot of the time, there's little snippets of you know the side characters and them interacting, and they can be quite funny as well. All of it. It was the pacing was beautiful. The arc was beautiful. The development was very organic. You just did a really phenomenal job of building and creating this entire world, which I did not realize how much I would enjoy this world until I delved into it. Yes, it did um, take about 10 years for me to finally write the end. There was a lot of on and off writing. <laughs> so it, it is very much my baby, this one. It's ta- taken a while. And I'm so excited for it to come out. And we're going to come back to that. But for now, we have to take a very short break. And when we come back, I want to talk about your real life experiences in terms of diversity and inclusion and how they lent themselves to the various characters, non-human characters even, that you've created in this world so don't go anywhere we'll be right back after the short break and we're back on lego board inclusion spotlight making the invisible visible And today's spotlight is on an indie creative author who is about to publish her first novel, which is the first installment of a duology. She publishes under the name of J.D. Groom. Jody, so you grew up in a part of UK that was, from my understanding, pretty homogenous. And then you came to settle in this place, which, from what you've told me, has this hugely diverse Asian population, right? Yeah, Definitely. Yeah, where, where I first grew up, it was in the Midlands in Staffordshire, and we were about 15 miles away from Birmingham. So we were, we were aware of the Asian communities and, and other communities there. But certainly in terms of myself in my primary school, there, I'm trying to think maybe one or two sort of Asian or black kids. It wasn't very diverse at all. But then sort of moving up to West Yorkshire, I'm now near Bradford, and the different communities here, it's just so colourful and vibrant. I, I love it. <laughs> Nice. How would you say your perspective on diversity and inclusion influenced anything in the book? It's a hard one, really, because I think for me, when I create my characters, I, I'm imagining a scene, and it's from that scene that I'll eventually sort of write from. So if I've not imagined a character in a certain way, then I can't feel that I can write them in that way, <laughs> if you know what I mean. For me, there's nothing worse than sitting down to read a book, and it just feels like somebody's gone along and gone for a tick list <laughs> of this character's got to be this, this character's got to be that, or they've got to include this, and it's just it just doesn't feel offensive to me. I completely agree. And I, you know, I never got a sense of that from your characters. But what I did get a sense of is, you know, something that as most of my listeners know, by this point, every single speaker, you know, has to fill out this form so that I have a better understanding of where they're coming from before they even record this episode with me. And your answer for how can we do better with making the invisible visible is for me, I think don't make presumptions will go a long way. And I see a lot of that reflected in your characters actually because I think making assumptions about your characters as anybody reads them is one of the most dangerous and futile things they could do in your story (laughs) yeah just a bit (laughs) because no one ended up how I expected them to be (laughs) 
yes, there's there's a couple of characters who uh, aren't quite what they seem. Yeah, and I'm still coming to find that out because, you know, you still have me partially in the dark with the second installment coming up. But, you know, again, we're going to get to that soon. What do you kind of see are, you know, in your real life surroundings, what do you sort of see are the gaps and mismatches toward inclusion right now in where you live in the UK? Well, you mentioned the form that we filled in before the uh, podcast. And for me, what I put down was the um, disconnect that we have between childhood and adulthood. You know, babies aren't born and, and carry prejudices and hate that they've got to have learned it from somewhere as they grow older. And this, for me, I, I saw it when I was younger, when I was about five and six, so we're talking 1989 through to 91. Um, I spent about six months or so in South Africa, in Durban. We were actually looking to move out there, but that didn't happen in the end. But at the time, it was all, you know, the apartheid, the Gulf War was on, Nelson Mandela being released from prison. And it, it was still very much, particularly on the seafront at Durban, they had all these saltwater playing pools. So, you know, being five and six, I was happily running around in these pools thinking nothing of it. It wasn't until later, you know, my parents noticed people sort of watching us and looking at us funny and apparently these pools were for just for the blacks as as I'd say so we were being looked at funny for sort of mingling <laughs> and in, you know being that young and not having any experience of this I didn't see that at all and the same with that you know, the family that we stayed with they had um, a maid and her not sure if it was a niece or a daughter you know I'd play with her for hours in the garden and things but certainly in that time if you know we'd gone further down the road to to a different neighbor it would certainly have been frowned upon and I think that's what we need to bring back we it's kind of the innocence it's the you know stopping the judgments you know the children have got to have learned it from somewhere to carry it through to adulthood where are they learning it you know it's really interesting that uh, you know I don't think you've ever shared that with us in group before about your experience in South Africa. So now I'm really curious how coming from the vantage point of having grown up in Staffordshire, which had minimal diversity and inclusion, then going through that to now being in Bradford, which has such a such a huge Asian population, how have all of these experiences influenced what you think about including people? Well, as I say, at the time, I was so young, I didn't really see a lot of what was going on in the background. But certainly from hearing what my parents spoke of it and what I do remember, as I've grown up, particularly moving into the, this area, I'm just fascinated by the different cultures and and the, you know the traditions that come with that. So f for me, I try not to base anything on you know the color of people's skin or the religions. You know, I, I try to um, look at the individual. And as I say, I just I'm probably one of the uh, first people to you know st stand up for anybody who may be getting any kind of abuse or anything like that. Because as I say, the, the color of somebody's skin shouldn't define who they are. I'm proof that you do stand up for people for who they are yeah and it's not about it's not just about skin color or you know like any of that it's for you at least my experience with you and I know everybody else's experience with you in this writing group that we're a part of is you are one of the most inclusive and helpful and genuinely authentic people that any of us have ever met 
thank you. <laughs> yeah, I try to be. I just, I just live by the, you know, treat others as you would like to be treated. Mm, yeah. I, I just asked that question because it was so fascinating to me that I did not know these things, you know, these little bits, the details of your past. But I want to get back to talking about book two. Okay. And about my other favorite fictitious <laughs> novel boyfriend that you created. So we'll be right back after this break to talk about where author Jody Groom's about to go. And we're back on Leg Upward Inclusion Spotlight, Making the Invisible Visible with author Jody Groom, who publishes under the name J.D. Groom. Jody, first, you know, first of all, tell me when book one is being released and what its official title is. Okay, so it's scheduled for the 10th of November and it's called The Sorceress of Truth. And you said in your, you know, bio and to us in the writers group that this is a duology. What does that mean? Yes. So at the moment, there's only two planned books for the main storyline. Both books will fall under an umbrella of the divine prophecy. There will, however, that there will be some short novellas, potentially full-length novels based on the side characters, potentially a prequel as well, but that that's undecided. I've got other works in mind first. Ooh, can you tell me more about these other works? And that is such a leading question because I already know where this is going, but let's pretend. <laughs> okay. Okay, um, so the one I'm working on at the moment is, its working title is The Don of Avery. I'm not sure whether that will remain as yet, but that one, the first book is fully complete at um, first draft stage. So it still needs to go through all editing and, you know, scenes may be cut and added. And um, I had planned to do, well, originally it was meant to be a standalone book. And then a particular character that you like decided to stomp on that and say, no, I want some more page time. So it turned into two books. And then having spoken with another friend of ours in our group, she says, I told her the ending and she said, you can't leave it there. You're going to have to do some more. <laughs> so it's looking like it may be three books. Just remind me to send her like a case of champagne the next time you know, I, the, if, if I ever go to champagne, just remind me to send her a case of champagne for that. I will do. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's, I'd class it as maybe new adult coming up to adult. The genre, I'm still a bit unsure of that one. Maybe contemporary dark romance. It's set in Leeds, but the the main character, uh, Raphael, he has links with the Italian mafia. So it's mafia, biker gang, rivalry in the mix of all this as well. Oh man, yes. Uh, Raphael. I mean, oh, what a delicious character. I'm claiming that one too. <laughs> That's okay. I'll let you have him. <laughs> Nobody else got dips on that one too. And again, you just did such, such a fan fantastic job developing him and developing this story and as you know I've already given you my feedback that nobody else in the story matters to me <laughs> you know for me it's not even like he's the main character as far as I'm concerned <laughs> Well, I'm just at the moment um, trying to plot out this second book because I'm hoping to sit down and complete it during uh, NaNoWriMo in November. But I'm a little bit stuck with the plotting. As I, say, I know where the ending, yeah, wh I know where the ending's going. I know what's happening at the end of the book. But everything else, 
I'm not a great plotter. Normally I've got an idea of some scenes, but this just isn't coming to me at all. So I think there's a, a big part of the first instalment where Raphael doesn't feature. So in the background, I am trying to write a bit of a short story on what he was doing during that time to see if it'll help me with the second book. <laughs> yeah, and you're doing an amazing job with that. A lot of my listeners, this might be the first time they're hearing the words NaNoWriMo, which I only got exposed to because of the writing group. So can you tell me and our listeners a little bit about what that is and how that shaped your writing of the current working title, Dawn of Avery? Yeah, sure. So I came across NaNoWriMo in, I think it's 2015. It started in America with, I don't know if it was a group of six or seven people in a coffee shop who said, let's try and write a novel in a month. So the target is to write 50,000 words during the month of November and it's it's grown and grown so that you know, hundreds of thousands of people do this every year now and it's it, across the globe. A whole novel? Yes. <laughs> well, it, a whole novel is the aim. However, I did do the Don of Avery in November 2018. I passed the 50,000 word mark but it, it took me until I think it was April or May to actually finish it because it's ended up being just over 100,000 words. Wow. At the moment. <laughs> It was a beautiful, it didn't even feel like 100,000 words. I mean, I couldn't put a single word of it down. So there's, you know, maybe I should do this NaNoWriMo thing. I think so. I think you'd enjoy it. <laughs> there's a whole website and I like the, um, just the community spirit that comes with it. And you can track how many words you're doing on a little like bar graph. It's it's quite, quite good. <laughs> so I initially came across it in 2015 and that's what kickstarted writing Sorceress of Truth again, because as I started it in 2007, did a year of research and then between 2008 and 2015 I got to around 20,000 words and it just kind of sat in in a drawer somewhere kept calling me every now and again to write a couple of paragraphs but then I, it would go away again and I thought no I'm, I'm gonna do it this time and I actually started I think it was something like the 4th or 5th of November so I, I was a little bit late starting I didn't achieve the the 50,000 words but I think I, I managed about 38 or 40,000 which would you know <laughs> considering there's only 20,000 start with that you know it's pretty good going yeah and yeah within another couple of months I, I wrote the end and it kind of all spiraled from there really <laughs> and I'm so excited to see where this next NaNoWriMo thing is going to take your story too and also you know have you decided on so you said this duology so are you going to be working on Raphael or are you going to be working on Lucas or can I expect both mm. well um, Lucas he's got around 40,000 words down already so I'm kind of working on that in the background while I've been working on sort of the release of the first novel I've not done much writing with with the second book so at the moment I'm going back and reading everything and sort of editing what I already have so I think for NaNoWriMo I like to start afresh I don't like to start a project halfway through so it will be the second part of Raphael and Avery's story in November <laughs> That just made my heart sing. Because I have to admit, and I've told you this before, as much as I love Lucas and as much as I love the Sorceress series, there was something about Raphael and his story and that entire story arc that I feel like that's where you truly showed your, like, you sh you, you exercised your magical skill writing muscle power to its fullest in that story 
it is just it is such a compelling story on so many levels and and it's so delicious it is like there is no other word for it it was a delicious story to read because it engaged so many different senses because of the way you wrote it right yeah there's a lot there's a lot of different storylines happening <laughs> yeah and you just you did such a marvelous job weaving all of those in without making them seem like extraneous details that didn't matter or you know those kind of like side plot bunnies which go off into nowhere and you always wonder like wait what happened to that there was none of that in that story so i'm really really looking forward to reading the second installment of that and the first installment after you know it's completely done and everything but as we start wrapping up this is a question that i ask every single one of my speakers every single one of my guests what is your final takeaway message for our listeners today for me i would say don't give up that's it, it hits home for me at the moment particularly with the release of the sorceress of truth i never ever thought i'd get to this point i always said i didn't want to go down the route of, of having an agent which obviously limited any publishing houses i might be able to approach i did send it into a couple of publishers and it was rejected and i could have sat back and said right that's it you know it's not going anywhere it's just going to sit in a drawer but i thought you know no i i know this is a good story i know it's got legs it can go somewhere so I actually entered it into a, a competition whereby it's voted on by other readers and out of I think it was 3,400 entries it got down to the final 250 and that was before I'd got to sort of final edits or anything and then obviously making friends with, with our, our, our group online and letting others read it and hearing other, other people's comments that you know it's a really good story you really need to carry this forward it, it gave me the push and the confidence to self-publish so yeah don't give up wow your book comes out your first installment of the sorceress comes out november november the 10th yeah okay november the 10th and they will be able to find it on amazon yeah it'll be on amazon as print and ebook and um it's also going to be registered through ingram spark as well so if enough people request it you, you'll be able to purchase it through other online retailers and also shops like barnes and noble and waterstones in the uk places like that i am really really looking forward to that you know I'm going to be pre-ordering a copy as soon as I can get it and whenever it is in real life that I ever get to meet you you're gonna have to sign these copies of all your books that I'll have by that point as we wrap up you know Jody I just want to really thank you for coming here and having this conversation and educating us and enlightening us about your creative process about your lived experiences and how much of those inspirations go into your stories and all of that i think it was it was a fantastic journey to go through your creative process so thank you so much no, thank you for having me. No problem. And to all our listeners, thank you so much for tuning into this episode. I will be back soon with another episode of Leg Upward Inclusion Spotlight, Making the Invisible Visible with me, Dr. Aparajita Jirigunta. But until then, in honor of author J.D. Groom, what I want to leave you with today is a question. And that question is, how can you tap into your creativity and inspiration to create fantastical worlds? So I hope you think about that and I hope you have a wonderful day and wonderful week. We'll be back soon with another episode. <laughs>